Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Sports Radio 610 presents The Drive with Sterner and Hughley. With the biggest stories of the day. It's the Big 3 at 3. Number 1. Adam Spillane in for Clint and the show. Big 3 at 3. Number 1 story of the day. Nathaniel Hackett fired by the Denver Broncos. Could not even get through his first season as an NFL head coach. Broncos were embarrassed yesterday against the Rams. Nathaniel Hackett, 4-11 as a first-year head coach. The supposed offensive genius has the Broncos averaging 15.5 points a game this season, their lowest since 1971. And Hackett becomes the fifth coach since 1970 who could not get through his first year as a head coach. Lou Holtz in 1976, Pete McCulley with the Niners in 1978, Bobby Petrino in 2007, Urban Meyer last year, and then Hackett this year. Jerry Roseburg, who was brought in by Hackett really after that disaster that they had against the Texans where they where the, where the fans in Denver were counting down the play clock. Hackett brought in Roseburg to basically help out with like game management. Well, Roseburg is the one who will take over as the interim head coach the last two games of the season. Really just an outright disaster in Denver this year. It's, they, they gave Hackett everything he could have wanted. A really good defense. They go out and they make the trade for Russell Wilson, and that has just fallen completely flat on its face. And so the Broncos have not made the playoffs since Peyton Manning left. That's how long it's been, and they've gone through quarterback after quarterback, They've gone through multiple head coaches. It was Gary Kubiak. He retired. Then they hire Vance Joseph. He got fired. Then it was Vic Fangio. He got fired. And now it's Nathaniel Hackett. And so now this new Broncos ownership will have an opportunity to hire a head coach. They're not the ones who hired Hackett. The general manager did. He still keeps his job. George Payton keeps his job. But Nathaniel Hackett does not. And you feel like George Payton has to be on the clock as well because... He's the one who built this roster. He's the one who made the Russell Wilson trade. He's the one who hired Nathaniel Hackett, and now the Waltons have to go out and, and pay Nathaniel Hackett off. So you have to feel like he's got to be on the clock. And as I'm thinking about this, this is now back-to-back years that we've had a head coach not be able to finish his first year. Are we getting worse at hiring head coaches right now? It doesn't seem to be going great. David Culley got fired after his first year. That was kind of... We all knew what the deal was with that. But Urban Meyer couldn't make it through year one. Now Hackett can't make it through year one. It just seems year after year after year, we are... (laughs) It used to be coaches would last four years. Like, that would be the minimum. Now it's almost like you get two years. If you don't win within two years, you are done. Now, I think that this is the fault a lot of times of teams. You've got to show a little bit of patience. And I do think that teams have just completely thrown patience out the window. And so... I think that's one area where teams maybe have to improve, where you might have a bad year here. You might have a bad year there. It doesn't mean that you just automatically fire your head coach as soon as there's a bump in the road. Now, Hackett was clearly in over his head. You saw that the very first game of the year. 
Urban Meyer had no business having that job, and that's a mistake by Jacksonville. But some of these other coaches who are right on the fringe, who, who get fired very, very quickly, I think that's where teams are making their mistakes, and they're really you don't have the great replacements anymore. You don't really have the hottest name right now is Sean Payton. And now Sean Payton's not exactly a retread, but that's not, you know, great. I, mean, I just talked about how I would trade a first round pick for the guy, but after that, there seems to be a big drop off. And I think one of the big problems that we have is that it's really hard to judge who's going to be a head coach because all we do is hire offensive guys and they want to call plays, but at their previous job, they're not calling plays. Like Nathaniel Hackett wasn't calling plays in Green Bay, yet he gets the job. And now he's asked to call plays. So you're hiring guys without a whole lot of experience. You're hiring guys who really haven't called plays a lot of times, and they want to come in and be a head coach who calls plays. I think that's a recipe for a disaster. And I think that's what you're seeing right now. So Nathaniel Hackett fired. That's three coaches who have been fired during the season. We had Matt Rule get fired by Carolina earlier in the year. And then a few weeks ago, you had Frank Reich get fired by the Indianapolis Colts. And now you have Hackett. It'll be interesting to see how many more coaches do get fired this cycle. Cliff Kingsbury certainly is a possibility with Arizona. We'll have to see what happens with Lovey Smith. But it kind of feels like you'll see that maybe the the only other possibilities might be teams that are in the playoffs. We'll, We'll see what happens with Mike McCarthy. I think that he deserves another year. He's won a lot of games the last couple of years. I know he hadn't won playoff games, but figure he'll win at least one. But maybe something happens with Todd Bowles in Tampa Bay. Maybe something happens with Brandon Staley in L.A. Maybe Sean Payton decides that he wants to go into TV. Maybe Bill Belichick leaves New England. That's been out there. That's That whole thing's not going great, and he seems to just want to hire friends and family to be on his coaching staff. So maybe Bob Kraft says, no, we're not doing this anymore. We're not going through another year of this. So it's going to be a very interesting coaching cycle in the NFL. Big three and three, number two. Big story, really, with one of these Super Bowl favorites right now are all the injuries with the Philadelphia Eagles. And you already know about Jalen Hurts. He had to miss last week's game and is probably out the rest of the regular season with that shoulder injury. Lane Johnson has kind of been in and out of the lineup for them over the last couple of weeks, he did play the first part of the game against Dallas, and they completely shut down Micah Parsons. But Lane Johnson then got hurt during that game, and that's when Micah Parsons started to take over. Well, Lane Johnson is probably out the rest of the regular season with an abdominal tear, and this is a huge loss for the Eagles. Lane Johnson is their right tackle, probably a Hall of Fame offensive lineman, and... When Lane Johnson plays for the Eagles, they are 72 and 44. 72, 44, and 1. There was a tie in there. That's when he plays. When Lane Johnson does not play, the Eagles are 12 and 20. The QBR for whoever the Eagles quarterback when he's on the field, whether it's Carson Wentz or Jalen Hurts or Nick Foles or whoever. QBR with Lane Johnson on the field, 61.5. When Lane Johnson is off the field, 47.3. That guy impacts the game for the Eagles. And they're not going to have him now probably for the rest of the regular season. And they that should not affect. They, they should still win that division. They should still finish with the number one seed in the NFC playoffs. And he 
we'll have to see if he's able to come back. But if he's not able to come back or if he's not 100% in the postseason, that's a big hit for the Eagles. And you look at the NFC playoffs, a lot of injuries. This might come down to who's the healthiest in the NFC playoffs. Jalen Hurts, probably not going to finish the regular season. Already told you about Lane Johnson. Look at the 49ers. No Debo Samuel. They're playing with Brock Purdy at quarterback right now. Someone else will probably get hurt. Everybody else gets hurt for San Francisco. Minnesota's healthy right now. Maybe this is the Vikings here. It's a weird team. A lot of weird results with that team. Somehow they win these games. I don't know how they do it, but every week they find a way. They're going to play at least one home game. They've got a chance to finish with the second best record in the NFC. I guess they still have an outside shot to get the best record in the NFC. NFC is going to be interesting. It's going to come down to, I think it's going to come down to the healthiest. And that's why I think the Cowboys are in a pretty good spot. I know they've had a few guys go down, but if they can get some of these corners back, the Cowboys have a chance to really compete in the NFC. And I know they'll have to go on the road for their entire postseason run, but they lost a home game in the playoffs last year. Maybe they need to get on the road. I can't imagine Tampa Bay, if they do get in, that's any sort of threat. We'll get into their game last night against Arizona. But I think the NFC is absolutely wide open. I think both conferences are wide open. In the AFC, you have Buffalo. They control their own destiny for the number one seed. Kansas City. Kansas City's a weird team because they win. It doesn't always look great. It always feels like they leave points on the field or other their opponents leave points on the field against them. Miami looks awful right now. Lost four in a row. That second half yesterday was terrible. It's, it's, this is going to be a really fun postseason. I think it's got a chance to... you got just a lot of interesting storylines, a lot of really good matchups. Big three and three. Number three. U of H men's basketball team stays number three in the AP poll. U of H really didn't do a whole lot this week. I think they just had the one game, I want to say. And that was against McNeese State. They won easily. McNeese State, really not any sort of a challenge for them. But it shows you how important the Cougars' win over Virginia was about nine days ago. Going into Charlottesville and winning that game off of the loss to Alabama, they needed that. And they need Virginia to keep winning. They need Virginia to probably win the, the ACC or at least you know finish top three in the ACC to, to really lock in what is a quality win. Because the problem that U of H runs into... They just don't have a lot of great wins on the schedule, and they don't have a lot of opportunity for great wins on the schedule. They beat Oregon at Oregon. That's a really good win, and Oregon's always a team that plays better as the season goes on. And you'll look up that first weekend in March or second weekend in March, and they're playing in the Pac-12 championship. That's just how it works with Oregon. So whatever the record is now with the Ducks, ignore it. Just look at it in March. So that win for U of H will really look good once tournament time comes around. But if they wouldn't have gotten that win over Virginia, you're looking at very few quality wins on the schedule because the American just isn't very good this year. Memphis is good. And Memphis, those two games against Memphis and maybe a third in the conference tournament, those will be good wins if they can get them. But that's the hard part about playing in a bad conference if you don't have big non-conference wins. It doesn't matter how good 
we might think you are. It's about the resume, and that's how you. And if you're a team like U of H, and you don't have a lot of good wins, I don't care if you're thirty and three or whatever you might be when tournament time comes around. If you don't have big wins, you're gonna you're gonna find yourself as a four seed. And so that win over Virginia, at least that's one. And I think the Oregon win will be another. And then if you can beat Memphis, those are a couple more wins that you can really hang your hat on. Because I don't want to be a four seed if I'm U of H. Because that's how you wind up playing the frisky mid-major who's only a 13 seed because they don't have any wins because they play in a bad conference and they can't get anyone to play them out of conference. That's why teams like, you know, you, you see it in the past where South Dakota State goes on a run in the tournament and you look at that team and say, how's that a 12 seed? How's that a 13 seed? It's not because they aren't good, and it's not because we don't think they're good. It's just because they didn't have any good wins. You're playing in the Summit League, and there's nobody in the Summit League who's going to compete with you. That's why it was hard for Gonzaga to get seeded high when they really started this run two decades ago. The West Coast Conference was so bad, and no one would play them out of conference that they just didn't have the wins to build up a resume and put them on a higher seed line. So that's why... That Virginia win for U of H is going to turn out to be so important for them moving forward because if they can get, you know, you saw it when they went to the Final Four a couple years ago, they were a two seed. They were four seed last year, and they wound up in probably the toughest region having to play Arizona in the regional semifinal. They won that game, but that was a tough win. That was a tough game for them. And then you wind up having to play Villanova two days later. So you don't want to have to play the number one overall seed in the tournament if you don't have to until much, much later on. You don't want to do that in your third game. And I think that beating Virginia, as long as they don't fall flat in conference play, which there's no reason to think they will fall flat in conference play, I think that's why uh, U of H is in a really good position right now to go on a deep run. Plus, they're really good. It's a really good basketball team. They really The only weaknesses that team has, their half-court offense can fall apart. But defensively they're so good they rebound the ball and as long as they don't turn it over they give themselves opportunities just even if you miss the initial shot they rebound 40% of their misses so it's almost like they use the initial shot as a pass which turns into a putback on the offensive glass the U of H is a good basketball team I wish the American were better this year I wish this U of H team were in the Big 12 right now and they're playing Kansas and playing Texas and playing the other good teams that are in the Big 12 this year because it would be make it so much more fun to watch. I wish they had beaten Alabama, and they really should have won that game. But again, they just could not do much offensively towards the end of that game. But to get that win over Virginia a week later really balances things out. So, you know, conference play for U of H not going to be great, but ranked third right now, again, Ranking really doesn't matter one bit once you get into the selection show and once you get into a bracket because it's not like the selection committee pays attention to the polls when they're putting together a bracket. It's all about resume. It's all about quality wins. Virginia, Oregon, two really quality wins right now for U of H. We'll see what happens with Memphis. But if you're a U of H fan, and I know you don't like Memphis, but you need Memphis to win. You need Memphis to win every single game that they play in conference play except for the games when they play U of H because that's how Memphis becomes better and that's how Memphis builds up its ranking and then you get more quality wins on the schedule. That's the big three at three here on Sports Radio 610. Adam Spillane in for Clint Sterner and the show. When we come back, the Astros got a little complacent this offseason. 
they haven't done a whole lot. They've done a few things here. They've done a few things there. But for the most part, they've let a lot of guys get away. We'll talk about that next on Sports Radio 610. Happy holidays, Houston. It's a reaction Monday on Sports Radio 610. In for the drive with Sterner and Hughley. Here's Adam Spillane. It's very important for me. Um, I can't thank this organization enough for sitting enough for, you know, how they embraced me, you know, four years ago, almost to the day. And then obviously how much they embraced my family. And it's like a family culture around here. So I appreciate it very much. I'm very thankful. But, you know, my teammates, I love them. I love this organization. I'm glad to be a part of this organization. And, you know, when you get to be a free agent, you don't actually, you know, have a chance to know where you're going to go. But I do have a great relationship with Jim. Uh, We're up front and honest with each other the whole time. And I'm very appreciative. Uh, for him allowing me to come back and bring me back as well. That was Michael Brantley on Wednesday after he agreed to rejoin the Astros on a one-year contract worth $12 million plus as as much as uh, $4 million in incentives. And it kind of feels like the Astros are done this offseason. And I don't think it's been a great offseason for them. And they're still really good, and they will still be really good, and they still are the favorites to win the American League West. But... To me, it feels like they've gotten a little complacent with how they've run things. Again, they still don't have a general manager. They parted ways with James Click. It's been a month and a half, and I don't even know if they've interviewed anyone to replace James Click. And so they've basically been running things with Jim Crane as the de facto general manager, and it kind of feels like they have let some opportunities go by. So let's just recap what they have done this offseason. They signed Jose Abreu from the White Sox. Did they overpay Jose Abreu? Yeah, that's okay, though. You're allowed to overpay people. It's fine. They also overpaid Rafael Montero. Three years and whatever it was, $33 million for a setup man. It's a lot of money. And then they brought back Brantley. That's really all they have done in terms of free agency. They kept a couple of their guys. They added someone from the outside. They have lost important pieces to the team. They lost Justin Verlander. They lost Christian Vasquez. They lost Oledmus Diaz. And it looks like they are going to lose Yuli Gurriel. Are these losses catastrophic? No. That's how good the team is. The team can survive. But it feels like they are treading in water right now. And it doesn't feel like that they are trying to get better. And it doesn't feel like... They are doing everything possible to win another World Series. And you look at a. I want to take one move in particular, and that's Montero. And where you see this team really lacking right now and not having a GM, it's the Montero signing. I, I thought it was an overpay at the time. Still think it's an overpay. And it's one of those moves where if you give me the choice between bringing back Christian Vasquez or Rafael Montero, I'm bringing back Christian Vasquez. That's a much bigger need for this team right now than a middle reliever or a setup guy or a late inning reliever. They got plenty of those guys. And so for me, that wasn't a good use of your resources. And I want to take you back to 2019 where the Astros were in, in, in the, and also 2021, the Astros were in a similar situation with Will Harris And with Kendall Graveman, they allowed both to leave. That is the smart move. That's the, we have a GM move. 
giving a setup man $11 million, that's a, we don't have a GM move. And there is no way that Jeff Luno gives Rafael Montero that contract. There is no way James Click gives Rafael Montero that contract. But the Astros are working without a GM at this point. And the Astros have talked about, we, we want to upgrade a second catcher. And you have Dusty Baker saying at the winter meetings how much they want to get Wilson Contreras. They talked about it a lot. They didn't make it happen. Wilson Contreras got a lot of money. I understand it. But to me, not bringing back Christian Vasquez was a mistake. Especially if you're going to give Rafael Montero essentially the same contract, just give it to Vasquez. Because Vasquez has a bigger impact on the team. And right now the Astros are going to be asking Martin Maldonado to carry the load once again at that position. And Dusty Baker did not trust Corey Lee. He did not trust Yiner Diaz last year to catch games on most occasions. I want to say when Corey Lee first came up, Maldonado caught seven of the first eight games. And that's asking an awful lot of Maldonado, who's not getting any younger, and you're basically forcing Dusty Baker to trust these young catchers, unless they have another move up their sleeve. But so far, the Astros have left that position untouched. Another mistake that I think the Astros made is just by letting Aledmus Diaz walk away. And I know Aledmus Diaz had a bad postseason. I get that. He did not swing the bat well at all. But that's a guy you need in a regular season because he plays everywhere. It's like having six guys on your bench because he played six different positions for them last year. He played all four infield positions, and he plays them well, and then he was able to play both corner outfield spots. Didn't play a lot of right field, and you don't really want him in right field, but if you're in a pinch and you need someone, he can at least handle the position. And the Astros let him go. He got $14 million over two years from Oakland. That's not a lot of money. If you're trying to win a World Series, just give it to him. But the Astros let him go, and they have not replaced that spot. I know David Hensley impressed some people last year, but you're basing that off of essentially 30 plate appearances. That's all he did for you last year. That's all he was trusted to play. And he played very little in the field. And what made Diaz so valuable was not necessarily what he did at the plate. He had his moments at the plate, but he was competent defensively anywhere you put him. He could handle shortstop. He could handle third base. He could handle second base. He could handle first base. He could handle left field. I don't know if you can say that about David Hensley. And it's important that the Astros have a more well-balanced club because it's an older team now. You're not playing Jose Altuve 150 games anymore. You shouldn't, at least. And he hasn't proven that he can stay healthy all that, all for, for that amount of games. He got hurt quickly last year. I think Dusty Baker wound up playing Alex Bregman more than he thought he would. And part of it had to do that. They didn't have another third baseman on the roster when Diaz got hurt. They thought about David Hensley at third base, but for whatever reason, he did not. He, he, it took a while, but he he did get a start out there. I kind of thought that Yuli Gurriel, for a stretch, was their backup third baseman because they didn't want to go to anyone else. So, do you need somebody like Aledmus Diaz for the postseason most of the time? No, but you still got to get to the postseason. You got to get through 162 games, and I think one of the things that Dusty Baker really deserves a lot of credit for this past season was the way that he kept guys fresh. 
And I know it irritated fans all the time. You look up at a lineup and this guy's not in there. That guy's not in there. This guy has a day off. But wait, we just had a day off yesterday. Why is this guy not playing? It's because you're trying to keep guys as fresh as you can to get through 162 because you have to get through a whole nother month. And that's where Dusty Baker deserves a lot of credit. But right now, his bench options are pretty limited. I mean, it's going to be a lot of Mauricio Dubon right now. It's going to be a lot of David Hensley. And they weren't... (laughs) Dusty Baker... David Hensley grew on Dusty Baker. But when he first got up here, he was not playing at all. And I remember somebody asked him about a role for for Hensley. And and Dusty basically said, hey, man, this ain't no tryout camp. And this is a team competing to win a World Series... Dusty Baker's not going to throw someone in there he doesn't fully trust. And that's why Maldonado plays as much as he does. And that's why Vasquez was able to really crack, you know, to to crack in there and, and get a bunch of playing time, especially late and even start playoff games, was because of how much trust Dusty Baker had in him. So to me, it's been a little bit of a wasted offseason from the Astros because they have let guys go, which is fine but they haven't really replaced them and they don't have a whole lot of depth within the organization to where they can just bring a guy up. And so you look, what was it, four years ago, they let Marwin Gonzalez go. They just let him go. And he was obviously an incredibly valuable part of their team, but they had a plan B and they went out and got a Ledmus Diaz. I don't know if the Astros have that plan B. And that's the one thing when you don't have a GM and you're in this flux and you're in this weird like purgatory that they're in right now is that I don't know if they have anyone who can go identify a player and go get them because we haven't seen it yet. They have been so quiet this offseason. They haven't made any trades. They've made very few free agent signings. Like this is when you win championships. And I remember when they let when they let James Click go, Jim Crane said, "I felt like I was rushed when I made the hire the last time. I'm not going to do that again." Well, when they made the hire the last time it was February. You know, they fired Jeff Luno in January. The offseason was basically over at this point. They got rid of James Click in November. That's the very beginning of the offseason. That's when you need to have a GM. So I do think that this has been a mistake by the way that they have handled this offseason by A, not hiring a GM, and B, letting guys go without having replacements in hand. So you still got, what, about a month and a half until pitchers and catchers report, but they need to do something. I don't think they can go into opening day with this roster and, ex- and and expect to win another World Series. They can get certainly win the division, although that gap is closing. Seattle's good. You saw it in the playoffs last year. Yeah, I know the Astros swept that series, but those were three incredibly close games that could have gone either way. The Astros needed a crazy comeback to win the first game and, and a dumb decision by Scott Service to win game one. They had to come from behind to win the second game, and they needed 18 innings just to push across a run to win the third game. So to think that you're just going to walk through this division, you can't count on that again. Especially not as this team gets older and those other teams in the division start to close the gap. So they got to do something between now and the start of spring training. I don't think you want to go into the season with this roster. I think you need to add someone for your bench. And if you don't do that, and and not just a bench guy, but I think you need to add another catcher too because I don't know how much they actually trust Corey Lee. I don't know how much they trust Yiner Diaz. You need to hire a GM too at some point. You can't go with this same arrangement. It's not going to work. It is not going to work. So I think it's been a wasted offseason. I don't think it's been a great offseason. I don't think it's been a horrible offseason. You have an incredible foundation that you're working with, but you're not building on that foundation. 
You're kind of just counting on those same guys and you're losing guys in the process and guys are getting older. So it's an important next six weeks for this team to try and add something because you are counting on guys who have been in the league a long time and have played a lot of extra baseball over the last six years. So they need to add something to this team. Maybe they have something up their sleeve, but we haven't seen it so far. That's what I'm looking for. Hire a GM. This isn't working. You don't want the owner to be your GM. Not in baseball, not in this sport. It's just, it's not a great way of doing business. We'll go from the Astros, though, to the Texans when we come back. Lovey Smith spoke to the media after Saturday's win over Tennessee. We'll let you know what he had to say, and we'll look ahead to Sunday's game against the Jags. This is Houston Sports Leader, Sports Radio 60. Happy holidays, Houston. It's a reaction Monday on Sports Radio 610. In for the drive with Sterner and Hughley. Here's Adam Spillane. Jacob Reiner producing today on Sports Radio 610. We are here until 5. And Lovey Smith spoke to reporters earlier this afternoon after the Texans won in Nashville on Saturday. He had some interesting things to say. Here is Lovey Smith from earlier today. Well, even if we were undefeated right now, we would be talking about um, we have to, the first thing you have to do is uh, win your division. I mean, there's a reason why you're in a division. So that group of people that you align with, uh, you want to be the best in it. And where we are in our season right now, we again, uh, we understand what our record is, but as you look at looking for some positives as we build going forward, but to have a winning record against a division says a lot. Hey, our, our, our division champion could end up winning it all, for that matter. And for us to have a chance, we're 2-1-1 one, one right now in our division with an opportunity to go 3-1-1. One, one. That's big for our guys. I know they're going to show up this week and continue to play hard like they've been doing. And whenever you look at your team versus how it could get better, do you, when you look at, I don't know, what, do you ever evaluate based on other teams? And if so, is there a greater emphasis on teams within the division and seeing how you match up and uh, I don't know I'm just curious about that well no I mean you, you're, you're trying to play the, you know you're trying to match up against the, the team that you're just on your schedule but yes but you do go back to the division yes I think you always go back to your division you and for us we go back from the division you go to the AFC side before the NFC side you want to uh, match up uh, good against those opponents first Absolutely. That's how it's always been. We put a big emphasis on winning the division, all those things. Yes, it's never changed for me, and it won't. You've had had success with people stepping up when someone's injured. Talk about Mm -hmm. having a guy like Brandon Cooks back on Sunday and how does that help? Uh, Just injuries in general first, Kim, yes. I mean, it's always – that is coach talk. It's next guy up. Uh, That's our, our mindset, and that has been the case. It's been evident this year on how we have at all positions. Um, but you have some players that uh, it's the reason why you pay them as much as you do. Brandon's one of the best receivers in football. So when he's not playing, we're going to miss that. So to get him uh, back into the mix this past week, he made his presence known. You know, outstanding from start until the finish, finishing up with that big play. In order for that big play to happen, can't tell you, how good a job the offensive line did, you know, losing guys, having, you know, two starters not in there, you know, at the time. But 
Davis Mills, too. I mean, he was under pressure to be able to give Brandon a catchable ball and great play by him. Love you. I know it can be in sports a bit of a cliche, but the way y'all played, the way you finished, carry over, can there be some carry over to Sunday's game against Jacksonville? Well, I, I think, yes. I think as you look at how you play in uh, doing a period of the season, there are different periods, different seasons to a year. There's different periods, too, I think. We're not the same team uh, that we started off with back there. Played a lot of young players. They've gotten better. Just figuring out exactly everybody's role right now. And as you look, and it's just not this game carrying over. It's I, It's been a few weeks now where we've been playing pretty good football. I think everybody is noticing that. And, uh, again, we have two more great opportunities. Uh, it's not like we played a clean, totally clean, perfect game this past week. For some things for us to clean up. That's why I'm anxious to get back on the practice field, going back through that same routine. Just a second. Lovey, when you, you look at the start of the fourth quarter, you get a ground on Derrick Henry and then Jake Hansen knocks out the ball to get you in the points to set the field goal. Where have you seen him improve from his time in Illinois to being a special teams donor to kind of seeing meaningful reps as a potential one? Well, I, again, I know Jake as well as I know anybody probably on our team. Um, Seen him grow up from there. He's heard uh, that message that we're giving. Some of the players are hearing it for the first time. He's heard that message quite a, quite a few times, and he buys into it. Uh, games are the winner. You look at the turnover ratio most, most weeks. It's been like a long period of time. Some people really buy into that. That was a takeaway. He had running back, had the ball secured. Plays like that can give the team momentum, which had happened for us. Did you feel like that moment was where the momentum shifted? There were some big, big moments in it. Um, we had a turnover, and they got the ball on the positive side. We stopped them four downs. That was a big, big series. But uh, they had the ball driving during that time. Uh, that was definitely big for us. Really kind of, you know, set that momentum, finish up that momentum that we had. Is the second game in a row where Davis has performed well in goal-to-go, red zone scenarios. What does that reveal to you about us, about him as a quarterback? Y'all went specifically with him in packages, no Driscoll and goal-to-go at that point. What, 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 is, what has he shown you in the last couple of weeks? He's, he's, he's made, made plays. I mean, that's what we're looking for from the quarterback position. Uh, Looking for him first to you know protect the ball. It's always about ball security, and we still will continue to work on securing it as a runner, but um, what we needed from our quarterback position, Davis, at that t- at moment, we needed a drive, and he had to hit some clutch passes and tight windows, and he did that right up until the final, that final touchdown pass. So what that's showing us, that's growth right there. If you just look at, a, at another young player that's, that's taking steps, he took a step back. Hey, Davis, let's take a step back. He, he did that learn some things from that moment and is making the most of the second, second opportunity. When a fumble is recovered for a touchdown, does that offer any forgiveness in a scenario when you're grading the quarterback, or is that still kind of the same flat line on ball security? It's the same flat line uh, on ball security. Davis fumbled the ball. He can't do that. Uh, the forgiveness part is the hugging part comes with Rick Burkhead for getting in there and, and recovering the fumble. He gets the, the double pluses and all of that. But, um, but we ask the guys to play hard and until the whistle blows. 
So just that's what just running to the ball, pursuing to the football can do for you. And if you keep pounding the rock, it normally cracks a little bit. And if you keep just working hard, breaks go your way. We've had the ball bounce to the opponent a few times, so it was about time for it to go our way. Well, DP, just I, we see them, you know, getting better. They've been getting better, but still, I mean, those, uh, you know, young player uh, mistakes have continued to happen. But you have to go through the process a little bit, too, and get to the end of the game and see how they handle it there at the end when the pressure is really on. Pressure was on. You know, rookie Jake got the ball out. Pressure's on. Rookie uh, Kristen Harris. That was a tough, you know, especially when you can't feel your, your, your fingers to be able to catch that. If he had caught it cleanly, he might have scored with it. And then, of course, Petrie. So that's the growth on them making plays to finish out a game. Uh, and, again, all their future is bright. And there's so many other guys I can, you know, I can talk about that's making plays. Blake Cashman continues to, to play in his role. Uh, Malik Collins is playing with Jerry Hughes. There's just so many guys. And how the offensive line, though, I mean, we lost some big pieces there during the game. And, and for them to step up and uh, to block that defensive line uh, said a lot. Do, would you give out a game ball? Yeah. Uh, yes, we, we give out game balls. You know, we had to get back to that routine and look at, again, on what the qualifications were. It's been a while since we've given out one. But, um, yes, we, we give out, you know, one offense, defensive, and special teams game ball. And uh, you're probably going to ask me who it is. We haven't told them yet, so we'll wait for them first. Well, be coming after coming off a, a win been a while that you guys have been showing progress and coming close. What do you expect the reaction to be from your guys? Back Wednesday, do you think they're going to play more relaxed now? I think they've been acknowledging what has been happening. Uh, I'm talking about good and the bad. We just hadn't been able to finish. So I think they're going to acknowledge the good and the bad and, and but how we finish and um, that game. But it's two more opportunities for us to, uh, you know, Randy, for us to, to take another more steps. I mean, and and back to the division games. I mean, we have history. I mean, this is uh, a team that could represent our division that we're getting a chance to play. So to finish up the season like that is big. So I know the guys going to be pumped up. And and then also, I mean, you know, we haven't won at home yet. Get an opportunity to finish it up the right way in front of our home crowd that's really been patient with us, and, um, and they deserve to see a good showing. We'll take a few more. Mitch and Jerry, you just a little bit What about him has allowed his defense line to get better throughout the season? I think first you, I mean, you know, Kenyon Jackson and, uh, of course, Jock Cicero, they're doing a great job. Our defense line coaches are coaching them up. They need, you know, one of the guys in the group, too. And that's Jerry's role. I mean, Jerry and Mario, they played a long time. And just how they, the tempo they set in the room with everything that the defensive line does. And when you see a player that's been playing as long as Jerry playing that way, I mean, you have to up your game. So he has just been nothing short of outstanding all year. Uh, not with what he's saying and telling the guys to do, but what they see him doing in all situations. 
Uh, so anxious for him to finish it up the right way, to be acknowledged, acknowledged a little bit, you know, as a, a Pro Bowl alternate too, you know. It kind of says what the rest of the league says about him too. I mean, with, uh, with the concussion protocol works, you have that extra day, Saturday game. Is there uh, any chance you think that Titus uh, Jimmy could make it back in time? How is Titus feeling? They're they're uh, feeling, uh, of course, uh, they're feeling well, feeling good, all that. And I mean, you can't start the process. So we've been evaluating them, and I mean, both of them felt really good, of course, after the after the game. So again, we have a concussion protocol that we put the players through, uh, and if they're ready to go, we'll, we'll of course be ready for them to go. If they're not, we'll wait until they're completely uh, healthy and ready to play. I mean, George and Hal have been coaching the guys up the same way. They they coach them hard throughout their detail, uh, the expectations in the room, uh, they're high, all of that. And you practice for moments. I mean, it's the reason why we dress eight offensive linemen. Injuries can happen. You have to be ready at any, any moment. Not just at your position, but to also move in the way Titus has done the last couple of weeks. So uh, all, everything, a lot of things we're talking about right now, especially offensively, is kind of based on what that offensive line has done. Uh, pass blocking for a great uh, – seemed like about the last month there's been somebody that's been on that all-pro team or a couple of them, whatever – but they just keep stepping up, and um, the protection has really been good lately. Thank you. Thank you. That was Lovey Smith earlier today as the Texans get ready to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars on Sunday. Do they give you a – can the Texans hang an AFC South champions banner if they win these last two games and they finish 4-1-1 one, and one against the division? That would be the best record anyone else would have against AFC South opponents this year. So, hey, it's not all lost. And – the Texans do, whether you want them to do it or not, the Texans have an opportunity to win these two games. Uh, Jacksonville is playing for nothing on Sunday. Uh, in, in all likelihood, the Chargers would have to lose out for Jacksonville to have a chance to win a wild card. So if the Jags do not beat Tennessee in Week 18, they're not making the playoffs. And the same thing goes with the Titans. So both the Titans and Jags are likely playing preseason games this week. And the Titans are playing on a Thursday, so and, and basically, Mike Vrabel telegraphed this on Saturday. They're gonna, I think they're gonna sit some guys because they they're gonna put everything in this Jacksonville basket, and the Jags will probably do the same. So the Texans can beat the Jags on Sunday, and then they can beat the Colts the next week. Colts aren't good. Colts won't be trying to win the game in all likelihood. Colts are probably thinking about draft status also about their draft pick. So <laughs> as bad as it's looked this year. The Texans do have a chance to get the four wins. Would it be great for them moving forward? Probably not, but it would be great, I guess, for those guys in that locker room, at least for this year, because the guys in the locker room don't care who's on the team next year. They don't care what pick they have. They want to win football games. So it's a, it's a weird spot to be in if you are the Texans. When we come back, we've got one hour to go. When we come back, week 16 in the NFL was pretty entertaining, and it was interesting, and we'll take a look at it. We'll go around the NFL when we come back on Sports Radio 610. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. 
Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.